how do we avoid going out of business as a church? God, of course, never goes out of business, nor does salvation, but local churches do. In 2019, 3,000 Protestant churches were started in the United States, but 4,500 Protestant churches closed their doors that same year. Then the pandemic hit. The pandemic was the straw that broke the camel's back for a church in Waldeboro, Maine. Attendance at that 164-year-old Waldeboro United Methodist Church had dwindled to five or six people before they held their final service in June of 2021. Pastor Greg Foster said, We can't entirely blame everything on COVID, but that was just the final blow. Lyle Schaller, a church growth consultant in 1990, estimated that about 49 churches per week die. That was in 1990. In 2021, about 75 to 150 churches close their doors every week, according to the Center for Analytics Research and Data. Some studies have shown that 90% of all churches reach their peak in attendance, outreach, and giving by their 12th birthday. Maybe that is why many Christian leaders argue that it is far easier to start a new church than to revive a dying church. However, Jim Harrell helped start a ministry called Overseed in 2008. The purpose of Overseed is to replant or revitalize dying churches in New England. Jim Harrell uses Nehemiah as his pattern for rebuilding broken churches in his book, Church Replanter. He writes in that book, The end result of Nehemiah's tenure, by God's grace, was the healing of a broken community who was once again healthy, vibrant, and flourishing. Nehemiah faced a dying nation and a dead city. Israel's faith community was broken. Her people demoralized. Nehemiah came to revitalize this broken community of faith, to resurrect a nation from the ashes of failure. And we can learn some principles for how to revitalize a faith community in our day from the book of Nehemiah. The reality is that we need a healthy spiritual community if we are going to maintain our personal spiritual renewal. Maintaining renewal requires sustaining community. We need community. God did not design us to grow spiritually in isolation. We need each other. And that is why God established the church, a community of faith. What are the path patterns we see in Nehemiah's revival of the nation that will help us in our spiritual renewal today? First, in Nehemiah 11, verses 1 through 24, we must build a core community. We must build a core community. Look at the first two verses of Nehemiah 11. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. But the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten 
to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine-tenths remained in the other cities. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem was dead. They had rebuilt the walls of the city, but no one lived there. They needed to repopulate the city. They needed to resurrect a core community. It was target Jerusalem, revive the city. So Nehemiah cast lots, and some men were drafted to move from their homes elsewhere to live in the city of Jerusalem. Other men and their families apparently volunteered to make the change, and so God blessed them. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that Nehemiah paid to have the houses rebuilt out of his own pocket. Ten percent of the people moved to Jerusalem. Ninety percent remained in their own villages and homes. Scholars estimate that the population of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day was only about 5,000 to 8,000 people. That's it. Now, this is a significant sacrifice for the people to make. They had to make some big changes in their lives, and it took great commitment to do what they did. Change is scary. We don't like change. We like the way things are. But we don't grow by maintaining the status quo. We can't stay comfortable and still grow spiritually. The beauty and the strength of a community of faith is that we make those changes together. We're in this together, which makes change less scary. How do we build a core community of faith today? Nehemiah gives us a pattern. I think we focus on three important goals. One, we focus on our purpose. Two, we focus on our place. And three, we focus on our identity. So first, we focus on our purpose. Verses 3 through 24 give us the names of key people who chose to live in the city of Jerusalem. We can see glimpses of the central purpose for living in Jerusalem in these verses. The core community was a community of faith. The center of the community was the temple. And many of those who were part of this core community were focused on the work of the temple. In verse 11, one of them is called the leader of the house of God. In verse 16, a group of people are said to be in charge of the outside work of the house of God. Another man is called the leader in beginning the thanksgiving at prayer in verse 17. An important group were the singers for the service of the house of God in verse 22. They had to follow the regulations for the song leaders according to verse 23. Worship was the purpose of the core community of faith. The church should be a worshiping community. Worship is at the center of the gathering of believers. We gather in community to worship God, and authentic worship is infectious. It's contagious. The world needs to see the greatness of God, the centrality of Christ, and the glory of the cross in us as we worship together. Second, 
we focus on our place. We need to develop a theology of place. Jerusalem was a place, so the community of faith was established in a place. It was an identifiable location that the world could see. God didn't just have them scatter to the hills. He gathered them in a place. And the same is true of every local church. Everywhere that the apostles went in the first century, they established local churches. Most of the times that ecclesia, the word ecclesia, which means church, most of the times that Ecclesia is used in the New Testament. It is used for a group of Christians in a specific place, a location, a geographical location. For example, Paul's letters are written to the church in Corinth, Galatia, Thessalonica. John wrote the letter of Revelation to seven specific local churches in Asia Minor. Luke, in the book of Acts, commonly use, uses the word ecclesia to refer to believers who meet in specific cities, social and geographical places. Pastoral preaching is preaching God's word to God's people in one place. A local church must have a central vision, a bullseye, or a focal point for her collective ministry. Just as Jerusalem was the central place to establish the core community for Israel, so each church needs a central place, a Jerusalem, to establish a core community. It's the focal point, the target. Third, we focus on our identity. The word translated church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia. It generally means an assembly, a group of people gathered in one place. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, ekklesia almost exclusively translated the Hebrew word kahal. Kahal was used of the assembly of men for battle and for the congregation gathered by God to unite under his covenant at Mount Sinai. Nehemiah was establishing a congregation in Jerusalem. The people understood that they were an identifiable group separate from the surrounding world. Ecclesia refers to our identity as a group. We belong to an identifiable group. Christians are not individuals who follow Christ as individuals. We are an assembly of people separate from the surrounding world. The local church is not for everyone and is not meant for people to come and go as they please. The local church is an identifiable group of people who gather in solidarity with one another as a community of faith. Now this concept is countercultural. Our culture emphasizes individualism, and even our Christian world stresses individualism. Individualism is not the foundation of a healthy church, nor is it the foundation for sustaining spiritual renewal. If we want to grow spiritually on a personal level, we need to understand our identity as a part of a local church. We gather as a community of faith not an audience of consumers. Pastor and author Eugene Peterson wrote a few years before his death, 
There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life, apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. Community, not the highly vaunted individualism of our culture, is the setting for living the Christian life. I am not myself by myself. We need community. So first, we must build a core community. And second, in verses 25 to 36, we must organize people into connected communities. We must organize people into connected communities. Look at Nehemiah 11, verse 25. Now as for the villages with their fields, some of the sons of Judah lived in Kiriath Arba and its towns, in Dibon and its towns, and in Jechabzeel and its villages, and in Jeshua, in Molada and Beth Pellet. And on and on the list of villages goes in the succeeding verses. Drop back to verse 20. The rest of Israel, of the priests and of the Levites, were in all the cities of Judah, each on his own inheritance. Drop back to verse 1 of chapter 11. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine-tenths remained in the other cities. When I read detailed lists of people and places, I ask two questions. First, why did God consider these details so important that he included it in his inspired scriptures. Why all these names and places? Heritage and identity are vital to community. Israel needed to be reminded of their historic connections to place and people, because that was vital information for their identity as a people of God. Community involves a sense of belonging. We belong to something bigger than ourselves, and this sense of belonging is vital to spiritual growth. The second question is, what does this list of villages mean for rebuilding their broken world? We know that 90% of the people did not live in Jerusalem. They lived in the surrounding region. Nehemiah was not just rebuilding walls. He was rebuilding a nation. So Nehemiah helps them reorganize their villages into effective communities. Verses 25 to 36 tell us the names of these communities that were organized and maintained by Nehemiah and the leadership of the nation. Back in verse 20, we are told that these people lived on their own inherited land. We must understand the theology of the land that fills the Old Testament. The whole earth, first of all, belongs to God, according to Psalm 47.9. The whole earth. God chooses to divide the land among the nations as he sees fit. Contrary to our human nationalism, America does not own America. God does. And he gives it to us. We are stewards. 
nationalism is always dangerous because in nationalism, we reject God's ownership of all. Second, God specifically chose the land of Israel as their inheritance from him, according to Psalm 47.4. The promised land was God's special inheritance, according to Exodus 15.17, which he gave to Israel as her inheritance, according to Joshua 21.43. Three, the possession of the land was divided up among the tribal groups and was conditional upon their obedience to God, according to Numbers 33, verses 50 to 55. The people of Israel were to pass on the land within their family units. The land was not to be bought and sold on the open market as if they were owners of the property. In fact, if it was, then it was to be returned in the year of Jubilee when all debts were wiped out. God was the owner, and he hired them to be caretakers or stewards of the land. I think there is an important side lesson in all of this for us today. All we have. All we own is God's, which he allows us to use and to enjoy. This is especially true of our homes, which are first his, not ours. We must learn to use our homes and our possessions for his service. Nehemiah was organizing the nation into smaller communities, just as God had designed the nation to operate in the first place. In order to rebuild their broken world, they needed to rebuild their caring communities. Here's a principle we need to learn as well. Spiritual renewal requires sustaining community. A local church must have a central location, but, of course, most people live in the surrounding neighborhoods, towns, and communities. People need to participate in the smaller caring communities of faith where they live and work. We need to be witnessing communities in the places where we live. The world needs to see the reality of Christian love in the small communities of believers right in their neighborhoods. Michael Green the professor at Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia, says, unless the fellowship in the Christian assembly is far superior to that which can be found anywhere else in society, then the Christians can talk about the transforming love and power of Jesus till they are hoarse, but people are not going to listen very hard. They've got to see it. The pattern of Nehemiah rebuilding the nation is helpful for church fellowship. Nehemiah built a network of communities for the people of Israel. They were connected with one another. The Church of Jesus Christ should function as a network of communities that maintain a Christian presence where they live and where they work, in their neighborhoods and in their workplaces. The late E.V. Hill, pastor of the Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church of Los Angeles for 42 years, understood this networking principle, this principle of connection. 
He was active in Republican Party politics later in life, but he was a ward leader for the Democratic Party in Texas before he ever entered the pastoral ministry. His responsibility in Texas was to get out the vote, so he organized the city into blocks, with a block captain for each block. Well, when he became a pastor, he applied the same concept from his days in politics. He applied that same concept to his area of Los Angeles, where his church was located. There were 3,100 blocks in his section of the city, and the church established a Christian presence in at least 1,900 of those blocks. E.V. Hill tells about what happened on one occasion. One man had been so offended by the captain of the block where he lived because she was always inviting him to church. He didn't want to go to church. So he decided to move to another section of Los Angeles to get away from this Christian. The truck came. He loaded all of his possessions. The block captain came to say goodbye to him and wish him well. The truck left. The block captain went inside and called the block captain in charge of the block where the man was moving. And when he arrived at his new home, there was the new block captain standing on the street to welcome him and invite him to church. And his comment was classic. He said, oh no, they're everywhere. I can't get away. My friends, that should be our goal as the Church of Jesus Christ. We need a network of faith communities to impact our neighborhoods with Christ's visible presence. How do we rebuild a faith community from the ashes of failure? First, we must build a worshiping core. Second, we must organize people into communities of faith. If you are seeking to rebuild your spiritual life, you need to worship in community with other believers, and you need to connect regularly with the community of faith. There are no successful lone rangers in the Christian life. Finally, in Nehemiah chapter 12 and verses 1 through 26, we must remember our community heritage. We must remember our community heritage. Chapter 12 begins with one of those long genealogical lists for which the Bible is famous. We often skip over these lists, thinking that they don't have much to offer us today. But all scripture is God-breathed, and all scripture is profitable. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16. So, Nehemiah 12 must be too. I want to make three significant observations from the text and then explain why these facts are important for our spiritual lives today. If you want to renew your spiritual life, then you must remember your heritage, my friends. Look at verse 1 of Nehemiah 12. Now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Jeshua was the high priest in the days of Zerubbabel. 
The list of names that follow goes back to the days of Zerubbabel and Jeshua. A little history lesson will help here. The Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem in 586 BC and took the people captive. There were three different returns to the land of Israel after that captivity. In 539 BC, Cyrus, king of Persia, decreed that the Jews could return to the land. And in 537 BC, Zerubbabel and his uncle Sheshbazar led the first return to the land of Israel. Jeshua was the high priest during this first return. Almost 80 years after the first return, Ezra leads a second return to the land in 458 BC. And it was 13 years after Ezra that the third return takes place under Nehemiah in 445 BC. So, Nehemiah chapter 12 verse 1 looks back 92 years to the return under Zerubbabel and Jeshua. The second observation I would make is that the list of names that follow in verses 1 through 7 were heads of significant priestly families or households. King David had established 24 priestly families or households that took turns leading worship in the temple. These 24 courses or divisions of priests were still operating at the birth of Christ because Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, was serving in the order of his division of priests, according to Luke 1.8. So there are 22 names of priests in Nehemiah 12 that are the heads of 22 of the 24 divisions of priests. Nehemiah has been able to identify 22 of the 24 priestly divisions at this time. The third observation I would make is that the chapter is all about worship and those who lead in worship. Corporate worship is central to a community of faith. In verses 8 and 9, we are told that a Levite named Mataniah was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving he and his brothers. Also, Bakbukiah and Uni, their brothers, stood opposite them in their service divisions. Later in verse 24, we're told, the heads of the Levites were Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel, while their brothers, with their brothers opposite them, to praise and give thanks, as prescribed by David, the man of God, division corresponding to division. Notice that each of these descriptions, that in each of these descriptions, there is a division of priests who stand opposite one another, opposite another division of priests in the worship service. The Jewish worship was led antiphonally, with the two sections of the choir standing opposite each other. In other words, the psalms were sung back and forth to each other as these priests led the people in corporate worship. Nehemiah is explaining their spiritual heritage. Why is this important? Well, every community of faith has a history 
and that history is important. If you are rebuilding your spiritual life, then you must look back to your beginnings. What is the heritage you have that will help you as you seek to rekindle your faith? If you are renewing a faith long dormant, then you must do two things. One, look back for encouragement. Look backwards. Remember your spiritual heritage, the community of faith where you first came to the Lord. God has been faithful to you, and you can count on his grace as you return to him. He will welcome you back with open arms because he loves you with an infinite love. So look back for encouragement. Look ahead with confidence. We don't know who wrote or compiled the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, but we know it was not Nehemiah because some of the names in this list come after the time of Nehemiah. Darius the Persian in verse 22 is either Darius the second or Darius the third. Darius the third was the king who Alexander the Great conquered. Both lived after the time of Nehemiah. Many of the names of the high priests in verse 22 were also names of priests after the days of Nehemiah. There was a high priest named Jadua at the time of Alexander the Great, although this one in verse 22 might have been his grandfather instead. All of that is to say that you can look ahead with confidence because the heritage we share in Christ is an ongoing heritage. Each new generation must carry on the spiritual heritage we share together. We move on, my friends. We grow, and a growing church is a changing church. We need to look back for encouragement, but we need to look ahead with confidence. The same God that led our fathers in the past will lead us into the future. COVID-19 has put a magnifying glass on Christ's church. Christians have divided over masks and vaccines, and churches have splintered over politics. Many were merely cultural Christians anyway. Some people left their churches over COVID, and others slid out of the habit of gathering. Still other Christians were forced to stop attending church for health reasons, since they were vulnerable to the virus. But my friends, we need each other. As the pandemic wanes, we need to get connected and stay connected with one another. Spiritual renewal is not a solitary process. Without a community of faith, we cannot rebuild our broken lives. You cannot grow spiritually if you are not living in community with others who are growing spiritually. Individualism is not biblical Christianity. Maintaining renewal requires sustaining community. With that in mind, I leave you with three important questions. One. 
Do you have a spiritual home, a community of faith where you belong? If not, why not? Number two, are you trying to rekindle your faith on your own? Forget it. You can't do it. Three, have you slipped away from your faith community and now you feel disconnected like a boat drifting in the ocean? Go home to your spiritual community. Get connected and stay connected. 